You're listening to the Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. We know this will be an incredible resource for your life, so stay focused, listen up, and thanks for joining us. Genetic coding of Audacious, I really want to take you back with me, back to um, 11 years ago when we sat in Matt and Lindsay's house up on the manor. Was it the manor? And um, they just bought this brand new house. And then six months after they bought this house or somewhere like that, we said, hey, we're going to Manchester. Do you want to come? And um, so we kind of were in there and uh, we were eating pizza. We were talking and, and we started to, to describe and talk about what Audacious Church should look like. And um, we came up with 11 definitions for Audacious, 11, 11 descriptions, 11 adjectives to describe the type of people that we were and therefore the type of church that we were going to become. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. And uh, you'll know this verse pretty well, I guess. It, it says here, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. And really what it's saying here in this passage is, is that the, the, the essence of godliness is power. That you can have the form and you can do the right things in, in style, in liturgy, in format. But if you only do the Christian faith with form and do it without understanding the essence of it, the Bible says don't, don't have anything to do with that. And I think it's true of church globally, many local churches, how people fall in love with the form of a church, but never really connect with the essence of the church. And what I've discovered is this, is rarely do people disconnect, disengage themselves from a church once they've connected with the essence of it. If they've fallen in love with form, the trouble is this, is that form comes and form goes. And so people end up changing their minds based on the form. So, so people will complain about some form of songs that we do on a Sunday, but other forms of songs they, they won't complain about. I mean, funny story, last week we were in South Africa at Liberty Church and uh, second conference, second meeting of the conference, and they've done lots of Hillsong songs. Sorry, lots of Planet Shaker songs. And Russell was stood next to me. And I said, oh, for the love of God, I wish they'd just do a song from Hillsong, you know, for just a song with good theological lyrics and things like that, you know, complaining to the Planet Shakers directors. It was a good moment. But the thing is this, you know, is, is rarely what happens is do people ever disconnect because of the essence. People, people the emails that, are, that, that we get of complaint and the issues that, that people come against is the issue of, of form. And people fall, fall out or because of form. And social media goes up and down because of form. And, and people get angry at Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, because of, of form. And people live and die because of, because of form. And King Henry VIII ended up setting up uh, the Church of England because of form, or a few other things as well, politically. But, but it all happens because of form. And, and, and I think that, that what we as a, as a church leadership and as staff need to remind ourselves of, and Pastor... John used this, frame, this phrase, the genetic coding of audacious. Who are we as audacious? What does it mean to really be a staff member, to be a, a leader within the context of audacious church? Because the reality is we will go through seasons where our form will change. We will. We'll go through seasons where stylistically things will differ from what they used to be like. But if we connect our heart, our spirit with the essence of what it means to be audacious, old hashtag, I am audacious, this is my church, old uh, current hashtag, this audacious life, 
If we understand the importance of the power of the essence, the coding of our church, then I think that changes absolutely everything. Um, so Paul here in 2 Timothy 3.5, he's, he's talking about uh, the connecting with, 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 with that essence. And I know, I know I've preached on, on form and essence many different times in many different contexts. But years ago when Sophie and I were taking a team from Sheffield and we were going to Ireland and we needed to go catch a ferry from Stranra, we ended up, we, we left late, we slept in, didn't we babe? We slept in, we picked people up, we drove up to Stranra, Scotland and we pulled into the harbour just as the ferry was leaving. We were so close yet so far. And, and I think that's really what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about men and women who are so close yet so far. They've got a language piece that is a similar language piece. And we've had, we've had families leave our church, I need to be careful, in the last two years who had the perfect language piece. But when it came to why they disconnected and why they removed themselves from this place, they had form, they had the right language, but there was something missing in terms of the connection within the essence of what Audacious Church is and who, who we are. And, and Paul says here, if you can just show 2 Timothy 3.5 again, Paul says that we should have nothing to do with people who are just form-based. Now, we can, we can actually compare what I'm talking about now to the over-churched message. A generation of men and women who know church but miss the point, who, who, know, who, who know worship but miss the point, who know when to lift their hands in oceans, but completely miss the point of why we do what we do, why we preach, why we lead, why we do mission and what, what that looks like. And so Paul is saying, don't connect with the church just on the basis of form. Make sure you understand its essence. Let me break it down really quickly. Form, the word form here, form of godliness is the Greek word morphosis, which literally means fashion. Fashion. Fashion comes and fashion goes. And the Bible says don't have a, have a form of godliness where, where you're in one moment and out the next and hot and cold. And folks, let's face it, we, we've had leaders and team members and staff members who've waxed and waned between hot and cold, up and down. You don't know whether they're coming or going. And the Bible's really, really clear that we should not have a Christianity that is fashion-based, that is based on morphosis, because otherwise we literally don't know who we're dealing with. We don't know what's going on. We, we, we've got no understanding. And, and, and I think the thing that's really important is this, is that we all love constants. The fact that our heart beats every day, however many thousands of times a day, that's a constant that we love. The Bible says that Genesis 8.22, as long as the sun and the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, it will never cease. It's a constant that we absolutely love. I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that, that my kids will be alive tomorrow is a constant that I'm grateful for. Do you understand that constants are so important in our lives? And, and if any of us are Christians, if any of us are, are on staff, if any of us are leaders in the house of God, because it suits where we're at right now because of a, of a form that suits us, my question is this, is what happens if the form changes? Because if the form changes, we're going to be in a, in a lot of trouble. What happens if we end up having you know, a, a whole year of just an organ and a, and a candle. I'm not saying we're going to go that way, but what I'm saying is this, our problem is this, is that we, we get enamoured and we fall in love with form. The form of a, 
of a church, the form of a song, the form of a style, the form of doing things. And, and Paul says here that we should not just connect with church on the basis of form. I think form is what attracts us. But once we're there, we've got to get to the essence. And this is the DNA um, and genetic coding of Audacious Church, understanding the essence, the essence. Now, the word essence, here's what it means. It means the indispensable quality of something. In other words, the intrinsic nature, who you are. That is your essence. That is the essence. It's the ability to look at Audacious Church Look beyond the form and say, this is the intrinsic nature of audacious ministry. That is what we need to be connecting our lives to in the life of this church. I know I've shared this before with you, but when we first moved to Manchester, my son had a run, had a run in with his uh, head teacher at his primary school in, uh, in Davy Hume area, Flixton, Davy Hume. And um, I remember this one day uh, I went in to pick my son up. He was in reception year and he was in his little, you know, um, shirt and tie and that whole palaver. And, um, and you know what it's like when your kid's are little. You wait across the, from the playground and when the teacher sees you, they, they release the child to run across to you. You give them a hug and they show you some painting that you're meant to work out. You're meant to guess what it is, but you have no idea. And then they say, it's this. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can see it. Little lie. And uh, I remember this one day just waiting, waiting for my son. And um, he didn't come out. All the other children were released. And then when all the other kids were gone, uh, the, the head teacher came and stood at the, at the reception block. And she looked at me and she went like this. So I walked across the playground and there was Jaden and um, he was, what is he, four? He's four years of age. He's literally just gone into reception class. He was three. He was three. He had his fourth birthday and two weeks later he's in reception. Okay, so he's little. He's so little he couldn't wipe his bum. He didn't really know how. He was so little he literally couldn't do much at all, right? And this was just literally just maybe just a few months into his reception year and um, and basically, the, the head teacher brought me into her office, made me sit in one of the little students' chairs where my backside got jammed into the seat. Um, Jaden waited outside the room, and the head teacher was was really, really having a go, pointing the finger. And basically, what had happened was in the lunchtime, Jaden and his friends um, were playing inside because it was raining. And they had these magic marker pens, you know, that you can write on it and it comes up on the computer and things like that. And they'd been hiding them from each other. And then they had to, you know, had to go and find them. So Jaden would hide the pen, his friend would go and find it and then vice versa. And uh, the teachers didn't know this game was happening. And then Jaden hid the pen and couldn't remember where he'd hidden it. And, um, and so it was expensive and it's going to cost hundreds of pounds and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and in the middle of this, what seemed like a very surreal conversation, uh, the fact that she'd made him stand in the corner on his own for an hour at the age of just turned four, she made this comment. She said, the trouble with your son is this, your son is a naughty boy. And then I lost my temper. You know, that's, that's you know, Pastor John talked about being out of control and in control, really. And, and the reality was this, is that we ended up taking our children out of that school because in that moment, our son, our, the head teacher had literally made a decision about the essence of my son. Now hear me, and I'm st- it's still true today. He's 15 and he does naughty things. 
He does. In form, He does naughty things. But I want you to know, in essence, He's a man of God. In essence, this kid's got a soft heart. He, you should see the things that move him. My son will walk down the street and empty my pockets to give money to the homeless people. We'll walk past one, another, 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 because God is, has, is working. In essence, he's a really good kid with, with, with a touch of God upon his life. But because this woman mistook form for essence, I knew one thing, that this son of ours was never going to get ahead in this school because now his essence was defined in a certain way. Essence is the intrinsic nature of things. So the reality in our church is this, is that sometimes we'll get it right and sometimes we'll get it wrong because form comes and form goes. But when you connect with essence, the essence of a place, that is really, really what is important, which is why he says here, having a form of godliness, but deny the power, we can take the word power out and insert the word essence. Having a form of godliness, but denying the essence. And the essence is this power encounter with God. So what I want to do is I want to take you through the 11, the 11 things, the 11 um, culture points or DNA genetic coding of Audacious Church and talk it through with you. And some of the leadership team, I'm going to get you up to help me out, just to help me with my throat. And uh, you can lean in on these things as well. The first thing is this for our genetic coding is this, is we are an enthusiastic people. We are an enthusiastic people. I want you to know about enthusiasm, that enthusiasm is participation. Enthusiasm creates the atmosphere. And one of the things that I've been totally aware of in this nation and on this continent is this, is that everybody brings an atmosphere wherever they go. You know, I bring an atmosphere with me. Sophie used to say to me, you know what? When you're upset, when you're anxious, you bring that atmosphere into the house. And I, I've had to learn and still learn the process, the need for me to ensure that I'm bringing the right atmosphere into my house with my family. Enthusiasm is everything. Folks, enthusiasm is not just a choice. It's not just some form or fashion that's gonna come and go. The reality is this, is that we were destined by God to be an enthusiastic church. Now, for every person who says, I love your enthusiasm, I get another five people say, it's too loud, you clap too much, you jump too much, and you hear that enough, and it can become like a dripping tap on your forehead, a drip of water to the point where you can just feel like, you know what, it will be easier to dumb it down. Can I just say 95% of the time, the response that we get from the church is not as good as the word that we're preaching. And, and, and we, we have allowed those around us to determine the level of enthusiasm that we give. Can I say this? You are the leaders, you are the staff, you are the engine room, and we believe that enthusiasm is part of our DNA genetic coding in the life of our church, okay? It's so, there are 1,900 other churches in Greater Manchester and 1,895 of them are, are, are not what we're talking about right now. Enthusiasm is key. Now, you know the Scripture because I've preached enthusiasm as a message a million times here. And the message is this, Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And 36 times in the book of Ephesians, 36 times in six chapters, he says, you're in Christ Jesus, you're in God, you're in God, you're in God, you're in God. 
He wants us to know that they were born in Ephesus, but they now have a new home in God. You were born in England. You were born wherever you were born, but you have a new home in God, which means this, that you have, you cannot allow, we cannot allow our Englishness or our personality to becoming an excuse to hold us back from being enthusiastic, okay? You can't let the fact that you're English, you're African, you're American, you're South American. It, God does not look at race. God does not look at personality types. Personality types are not in the Bible. The only types that the Bible talks about in the Bible are the ascension gifts and the gifts and, and, and the spiritual gifts that God gives and the motivational gifts. But God looks at you as His son or daughter and you are either in God or you are not. Now, if you're not, you can choose to live however you want to live. But if you are in God, 36 times in God, the Greek word entheos, from which we get our word enthusiasm, this is not a choice. This is now our culture. This is now our genetic, our genetic, our DNA coding. We are enthusiastic about what we do. We're enthusiastic. We're loud. We're passionate. We're exuberant. We're early for everything. We hang around after. We're dedicated to everything about life. We're, we love people. We believe in a buzzing atmosphere. Enthusiasm. Folks, I want you to know that the praise pit is, is, is not just about a place for young people. To, it, it's about creating an atmosphere of enthusiasm. This is our DNA. This is our culture. This is our genetic coding. You watch what will happen when we are enthusiastic on a Sunday or on a Friday or in a prayer meeting or in a staff meeting. I guarantee you that as we increase our enthusiasm, several things will happen. Number one, more souls will get saved. It will happen. Number two, new numbers in church will grow. It will happen. Number three, an atmosphere of faith will increase because the Bible says that God is lifted up in the middle of shouts of praise. He inhabits the places of praise. Notice the differentiation between praise and worship. The Bible says that when they shouted, the walls came down. Not when they sang a minor key and did a loop for 45 minutes. No, but when they, they, they did a shout. And I believe that as we turn up our enthusiasm, then we will see an atmosphere of miracles increase. Do you believe it? Yeah. All right, the second thing that I believe is important is ownership. Ownership. This is our genetic coding. Ownership. It's our church. We've all got a part to play. That sense that when we come to church, someone's going to need me today. Someone needs us today. Oh, what you're doing in church is great. And I stop and go, don't you mean what we're doing in church? Because the moment you became audacious, the genetic coding became one of ownership. This is our church. And, and one of the things I really love about the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem is this, is that everybody played their part. Even the people who didn't really know what they were doing. The Bible says the perfumers, they built the wall outside the house. Those who worked in gold, they built the wall. Everybody played their part. Ownership is key. The moment we say, that's not my job, is the moment we've cut across our DNA genetic coding, which is why we all pick up litter, which is why we all empty bins, which is why we all, when we go into the toilets, if somebody's made a mess, then we get the toilet brush and we clean it up for some Muppet who never really learned how to use toilet brush in the first place because this is an issue of ownership. 
If we break it, we fix it. If we find a problem, we find a solution. We do this together. And I'm convinced that when we take more ownership as a, as a church, then we will see greater things happen in Jesus' Name. The third aspect of our DNA coding is this, is that we are a relational people, family-focused, genuinely interested in people. Folks, look at me for a moment. Genuinely interested in people. Looking at people in the eyes when they are talking to us, not looking for an escape route, not looking for the next best person to talk to. I've been in enough green rooms in conferences globally to see that pastors are the worst at this. They will talk to you while looking for a more famous person to talk to. Recently, Pastor John and Gillian were at a conference, I won't tell you where, and they didn't know anybody in the green room and it was in a part of the world that is very transactional in its way it relates to people. And so nobody talked to them. They tried to talk to people and, um, and uh, nobody said anything to them. So they just, Gillian and John sat in the corner, a hundred people in the green room, everybody ignoring John and Gillian. Nobody talking to them. John would get up and say hello. These people were genuinely not interested until some of the lead worshipper team from United, Hillsong United came in. The only people they knew was John and Gillian. And it was interesting because the moment they connected with, they saw John and Gillian, they walked across the room, gave them a hug, and then everybody wanted to know John and Gillian. That's what you call transactional leadership. There are many pastors in the world who have had Sophie and or I or any of the team to go and preach for them. And then it's amazing how social media runs hot. My social media, social media, emails, text messages coming in. Hey, I'm in your country. You want to catch up for a coffee? AKA, you've preached for me. Now can I preach for you? It's what you call transactional relationships. And that's not who we are. We're a relational people. We, we, we believe in people. We're believing in people, the betterment of people. We're about old people and new people. We're about old people. The, when I say old, I don't mean generationally old. I mean people we've known for a long time because the people we've known for a long time have helped us to get here. We still believe in them. But we're also about new people, life friends yet to be made, souls yet to be saved, people about to get a breakthrough. And the amount of Sundays I feel like tearing my hair out because I see our church people talking to our church people, but there are still some people who are not yet our church people who want to be our church people, but we're so busy in our huddles doing our church thing that we forgot that there's 2.8 million people going to hell on our doorstep. We are a relational people. God wants us to connect with people. The fourth thing is this. Fourth thing is this, is that we're an entrepreneurial people. Entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial. Uh, the words we wrote down on, on the blackboard or whiteboard in Matt and Lindsay's house were rich, lavish, generous, creative, initiative taking. We see gaps, we take action. Possibility thinking, risk takers, seeing beyond the obstacles, people with expertise, celebrate success and failures. When somebody fails, we say, we salute you. Good on you. You had a go. We are entrepreneurial. In other words, we try new things. We call these new things being innovative. And let me just say two things about being innovative. The first thing about being innovative is this, is that to be innovative means to be prophetic. In other words, to see things before they happen. But God wants us to be more prophetic. Of course, you know the story of Buddy Holly, 
the first, first person to ever play a rock and roll gig. He was a churchgoer. He was a son of a minister. He played a rock and roll gig, was it on top of the cafe roof? And the church decided that it was ungodly. And so what they did was they, 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 they um, labelled rock and roll as music of the devil and where the church globally had the chance to be at the cutting edge of music for the last 50 years we've been playing catch up because the church was not innovative. It wasn't prophetic. John 5.19, Jesus says this. He says, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And it's this phrase, literally, to see it in heaven and copy it on earth. So don't come with a complaint. Come with innovation. Because you are entrepreneurial. If there's something for you that genuinely doesn't work in the life of the church, we're happy to hear the problem as long as you come with three innovative ideas. Otherwise, shut up. Because I see the problem too. And the reality is this, is if we all decide to get entrepreneurial, oh baby, everything will change. Everything will change. Our second thing about innovation is this, is to innovate is to be inquisitive. So ask questions. Why do we do things like this? Why do we do youth like this? Why do we do rehearsals on a Thursday night? Nothing in the program is a given. Nothing in the program. If Sunday church doesn't work for us, great. Let's scrap it and do it all on a Friday night. Nothing is sacred. The only thing that is sacred is, is, is the Lord God wanting this city and this region one for Christ. That's what's saying. Why do we believe what we believe? I, I remember growing up in church where you couldn't clap somebody if they did a good job in case pride got to their head. I remember, guys, when we couldn't have drums in church because it was demonic. I remember when you could only have a piano and an organ. I remember that. But somebody, thank God, asked questions. Somebody actually had the audacity to say, show me in the Bible where it says you can't clap. I remember somebody whistling in church and them getting hauled before the elders because they had the audacity to whistle. You know what I mean? I mean, we live in a mad world. Let's be inquisitive. Let's ask the question, what's missing? What's missing? Let's ask the question, what's one thing we can do to make the rest of what we do easier? Because sometimes we focus on steps three, four and five, but what would happen if we just made step one just a little bit more effective? Like those dominoes from that book, The One Thing. Do you remember that illustration? Okay, the fifth aspect of our DNA genetic coding is this, is fun. Come on, baby, I said fun. <clears throat> Contagious, surprising, wow moments where people say, I didn't even know church could be like that. I mean, I think I told you this, but, but uh, a few months ago I was preaching in, um, uh, where was I? I was in... Uh, Dublin, West St. Mark's Church. Is it Dublin or Belfast? Dublin, Dublin. And I showed the clip of, of Jesus Freak being played on stage. And, uh, and then the week before that, Foz with his happy feet. Do you remember that? And that blew up. It, thousands and thousands of views. And, and, uh, and, and when I talked a little bit about fun, I, I preached a whole message to the Irish church on fun. Because what I've discovered is this. The Irish people are fun. But the church in Ireland, holy crap. They need a good dose of fun. So I spent a whole leaders night speaking to 400, 300, 400 pastors about fun. 
And when I sat down, a lady tapped me on the shoulder. She was sitting on the second row. And she said, you know, I saw your social media clip from last week in your church. And I thought, that's disgusting that they would do that. She says, now I understand. You're just having fun. I said, absolutely. Sometimes in church on a Sunday, the only reason we do something is to have some fun. Well, what's the spiritual reason for that? Fun. The Bible says, a merry heart does good like medicine. I'm not even kidding. The other night in the car, John and I were laughing so hard for so long that when we came into the session to preach, I had lost my voice and he needed an asthma inhaler. So we both got up preaching. I don't know if anything we said made sense, but gee, we felt good because we had some fun. Can I just say in your team, find some stuff to have fun with. Do you know, I'm, I'm sick of, of trying to think off the cuff things on a Sunday to have some fun. Matt Hill, come and play electric guitar again. <laughs> the bandit's traveling too much now. He's not there to do it. Guys, let's think about fun. Worship leaders, think about fun. Not cheesy. There's a difference. Fun, presence of God, powerful, fresh, enjoying the journey, light, creative, attractive. Think fun. If you don't know how to have fun, ask somebody who looks like they're having fun. And say, teach me, what can I do to have fun? But don't give me all your personality stuff. You know, well, I'm, 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 you know, phlegmatic. No, 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 you're not. You're a Christian. You're in God. This is, this is your DNA genetic coding of the house. Have fun. The sixth thing is this, is we are accessible. Accessible. 24-7, all ages, youthful, cosmopolitan, inclusive, urban, relevant, different ethnicities, language and dress, funky, students, unemployed, businessmen and women, great coffee, families, kids, accessible. Folks, what can we do to break down the dividing wall between the church world and the world world? To let people know we're accessible. Whoever you are, come as you are. Jesus came as He did, so you can come as you are. Come as you are. The seventh thing is this, is our DNA coding is that we are supernatural. We're supernatural. Folks, I believe that the other things that we've talked about so far Enthusiasm, ownership, relational, entrepreneurial, fun, accessible, all those things help create an atmosphere where the supernatural can be done. I don't know about you, but I believe in the supernatural. I believe that He still heals. I believe that He still restores marriages. The pastoral reports that we get in of, of marriages in our church that where people have, have broken up or they're in the middle of breaking up, I still believe in a supernatural God that can heal those situations. And just because we pray for people and they don't get better, it doesn't mean we stop praying for people. I remember the great Reinhard Bonnke saying this once. He said this. He said, around only 4 or 5% of the people I pray for get better. That's what he said. He said, but the difference between me and most Christians is this, is I keep on believing. He's a supernatural God. I don't want us to have just stories of great miracles and, and, and breakthrough from, from, from two and five and, and 10 years ago. I don't want Sophie to have to do another stay series with TBN where we're hunting, trying to find more miracles. No, 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 no. I believe that actually we are a supernatural people and that our DNA, DNA coding needs to be the belief for the supernatural. So folks, I want you to know that in those moments when we have altar calls, don't tune out. Don't think about Nando's and what you're going to have for lunch. Wait, hang in there for a moment because that's the moment. 
in my first preaching Bible, I got a, a poem in the back of it by Matthew Simpson, who was a great preacher, 1700s or thereabouts. And he talks, about, he talks about the preacher, the leader, the people who are on stage, the worship people being in Christ's place. I think he uses the phrase, we're in Christ's stead, that both heaven and hell await the outcome. And there's those moments where in, in, our, in our regular form, where we go for souls, Folks, I'm shocked by what I see when I'm on stage. I say, come on, folks, if you're here and you don't yet connect with Jesus, I'm seeing Christians packing their bags and starting to move because for them, their Christianity has become just about themselves. Folks, when, when somebody starts walking past you in, in the row and they're making a disturbance, say to them, no, wait a second. Because the most important time in church on a Sunday is those three or four minutes. And you may be bored with it, but let me tell you something, eternity waits on that moment. The greatest supernatural thing that can happen is when a soul gets saved. And that's what we're believing. But we're believing more than just emotive decisions. We're believing for people to get arrested in their soul. The footballer who recently got saved, I know you've seen him in church three or four weeks ago, um, Paul Reed was preaching. Uh, Sophie and I on vacation. And then two or three Sundays ago, Sophie and I meet with him. And Sophie says to this, the footballer, says, hey, when did, when did you tell us about your spiritual journey? When did you get saved? And he said, last Sunday. Wow. He said, look, here's my new Spanish Bible. And as he began to talk, you realise here's, here's a man who's actually had the greatest miracle ever. He's got everything money can buy. He's got all the fame in the world. But now... He's got faith in Christ. This is the most important thing. Let's be a supernatural people. Let's remember that when the atmosphere is tough, it's not because the worship team or the preaching team are having a bad day. When the atmosphere is tough, it's a spiritual battle. I remember a few years ago, you know this story. Um, I came back, Sophie and I were in Mallorca or somewhere like that on vacation. We came back. I landed. We landed into Birmingham. Um, was it Stuart or Foz or somebody picked me up? We went to, I went to preach at the one event. Um, used to be called Grapevine. And that night, I'd, I'd done the, the year before and it was fantastic, 5,000 people in the tent. The next year was great. The worship happened. And then as I got up to preach, two things happened. Within, within a few moments of me preaching, firstly, there was this high-pitched, hideous laughter. Uh, literally, uh, I mean, like a witch from a movie is the best way I can describe it. And the second thing is this. I looked to my right and sitting about eight, ten rows back was a man whose face, it was like his face had been erased with, a, with, a, with an eraser, like, like an apparition stood there. And I remember while I was preaching, the whole front row, they're talking to each other. You know, people are running around trying to find where this laughter's coming from. I'm distracted by this over there. And I just preached the worst sermon of my life. I mean, you've heard me preach some bad ones. This was the worst ever. And I drove home that night and Sophie said to me the next day, what happened? I explained to her and Sophie said to me, did you not stop to think for a moment that it was actually a spiritual thing? And the reality was I didn't because six hours earlier, I was on a beach in Mallorca and now I'm facing the supernatural realm. Folks, let, let's not fall into the trap of becoming so form-based that we forget that every Sunday, every Sunday, we are literally putting on our gloves to fight against the kingdom of darkness. His job on a Sunday is to bring distraction. His job on a Sunday, in the moment that we go for souls, his job is to not get people focused on that moment. His job is to get somebody in the middle of a row 
while we're going for souls to think, you know what? I probably, if I go now, I'm going to beat the crush. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And somebody who was about to make an eternal life and death decision are distracted in that moment and the devil goes, got him. Because we forgot that it's supernatural. The coffee's supernatural. Did you know that? The coffee's supernatural. I don't want us to have cheap, horrible, nasty coffee on a Sunday. I want people to have good coffee. I want people to have good coffee and go, this is church? Supernatural, miracles, healings, prayed up, stepping outside of church, aware of God, moving. He's powerful. His personal experience. We're leading by example, supernatural in finances, in community. The eighth thing is this, is that we're believing our DNA, our genetic coding is that we are an excellent church, an excellent church. Not good, great. Did you hear me? Not good, great. Not average, awesome. Not mediocre, incredible. Not an afterthought, a forethought. Practice, music, creative, media, welcome, food. And again here, I've put coffee. And the phrase that'll do will never do. Because we're always on the, the cusp of the next breakthrough. And so we don't want to just settle into to a routine, a form, or a normality, a liturgy. We're aiming for excellence. Folks, listen to me. Everything you do is a self-autograph. The way you paint a wall, the way you hoover the carpet, the way you put out the chairs, the way you preach, the way you write a song, you autograph it by very fact that you do it. And you tell me everything about you just the way you do that job. The ninth thing is this, is that we are purposeful, focused, vision, intentional. We have a purpose. The purpose. We have this purpose. We want to see souls saved. You can put their vision <coughs> We're vision orientated. Where there is no vision, there is no focus on DNA. There's no focus on genetic coding. Where there is no vision, people can do whatever they want. Where there is no vision, nobody ever sits and says, are you actually tithing? Where there is no vision, there is no confrontation. We, we, we would choose to be purposeful. Folks, this is about souls. This is about souls. That's what we're about. The 10th thing is this, is we are authentic, authentic, genuine, sincere, real people, real care. And the reality, I think, is this, is because our lives are so interconnected with the body of Christ, our lives are so interconnected with local church, that I promise you this, if our church is not doing good, you won't do good. Because the thing I've noticed about Christians is this, is that as Christians, our lives revolve around the local church. When you're not a Christian, your life revolves around school or the pub or the community centre or football. But actually, as a Christian, our lives revolve around local church. And the reason is this, is because we are the church. We are the bride of Christ, which is a bit funky. I'm a man, but I'm a bride, but I'm still trying to get my head around that. So we're authentic. And the 11th thing is this, and we are missional. We are relational. We partner with other organisations. We believe in extreme missions. And I'm looking forward to extreme missions. I'm looking forward to getting calls from some of our short-term missions saying, please pray. We're in life death-defying uh, situations. That, that's what I'm talking about, baby. Extreme missions. Uh, extreme missions. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunities becoming several-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Once upon a time for people going to Australia was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Wouldn't it be great if we just created that all the time for people? The idea of we're starting churches in other cities and other nations. We're talking now about an adventure. And I need to finish, but I want to close with this. That in Scripture, there were times when Jesus accused people of being hypocrites. 
You know that, don't you? Let me tell you what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is when our form does not match our essence. Can I say that again? A hypocrite is when our form does not match our essence. And so as we've just been through the genetic coding of of our church, I wonder for a moment, where, where do you struggle the most? If I can list these. We are enthusiastic. We take ownership. We're relational. We're entrepreneurial. We're fun. We're accessible. Supernatural. Excellent. Purposeful. Authentic. Missional. Hypocrisy is when our form does not truly match our essence. There's a a bizarre moment in Scripture where Jesus turns to Peter and uses this phrase. He says, Get behind me, Satan. Which seems a little bit ruthless. But the reason Jesus was so ruthless was because he was defending his essence. Jesus was saying, I've got to go and die. I've got to go and leave you. And Peter said, no way. You you can't do that. But little did Peter realise that this was the essence of who Jesus Christ was, our Saviour. He actually came to die. He he was the Saviour. That was His essence. Therefore, He had to die, which was His form. With essence came form. So when you really understand our essence truly begin to realise you begin to realise why we have to launch a South Manchester an East Manchester a West Manchester you begin to realise why we have to have a life group within walking distance of every person in Greater Manchester because this is our essence I don't know I think that most churches would agree with our DNA I think they would. But our challenge is this, and every church's challenge is to make sure that the form matches the essence. I want to say this. Like the form, but love the essence. If you love the essence, then you'll be able to adopt the form. Thank you for listening to this Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. For more information, visit us online at audaciouschurch.com.